word. Lord in heaven, we just thank you for this time that we have here this morning to, to gather, to worship, to sing praises to your name, to be witnesses of, of the ministry of reconciliation as it's been taking place this week in, in Vacation Bible School. You've called us to proclaim the gospel. You've called us to minister to others. You've called us to tell people about Jesus as we live this life in obedience to you. Father, we, we thank you for the opportunity to be a part of sharing that message with the world. I pray that it wouldn't end with Vacation Bible School, that we wouldn't get this idea that we're done now, but that you would continue to press upon us the importance uh, of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, this mystery that was hidden from ages, for ages past, for many generations. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would transform our lives. As we turn to your word, I pray that you would open up our ears so that we would hear, that this wouldn't just be a time that we tune out. I, I pray that this would be a time that you would open up our minds to help us understand what we have here in the text of Scripture, the message that you have for us. And Father, I pray that you would, that you would soften our hearts, that you would transform us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And as we encounter you and your word and what you command to us, what you teach us, Lord, might it transform us, and, and might we walk away from here looking more like Jesus Christ as a result of this. And so please bless this time as we turn our attention to what you have to say to us. It's in Jesus' name we ask this, amen. Well, if you're a guest with us this morning, you, you'll find that in our worship services, we, we devote a lot of time to singing praises to our God. We believe that he's worthy of that. We spend time in, in prayer we, we enjoy gathering together with other Christians and, and spending time in fellowship. But a central focal part, point of our worship services at DeWitty Free is our devotion to listening to what God teaches us in the Bible. Uh, when we come together to worship, we not only devote ourselves to expressing our hearts to Him, but we also desire to incline our hearts to listen to what He has to say to us. And we believe that He speaks with abundant clarity and with an amazing relevance for daily living in, in this book that we call the Bible. And so I'd like to invite you to join us as we turn to the letter that we've been studying this last few weeks in the New Testament called Colossians. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Uh, you'll find Colossians in the back of your Bible, about, probably about 50 pages or so from the end of, of it. Uh, today we're going to be spending our time in Colossians chapter 1, just verses 24 to 29. But Colossians is a short book of the Bible, and it was a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul and his co-worker Timothy to a small group of Christians that lived up valley from the, the main road that went through that area. Um, in many ways, the city of Colossae was probably a lot like, a lot like DeWitt. And, and Paul and Timothy, had, they'd never been to this church before, although they probably had met the pastor, they'd met a few people that were, were from Colossae, a handful of other Christians. But the main point of this letter that we've been discovering is that Jesus is greater than. Jesus is preeminent in all things. That means he comes in first place. Jesus is superior to all things. And they wrote this letter to this group of Christians because there was a group of teachers who had come into, their, into Colossae and they were engaged in conversations with the people of this church and in some way, they had proposed that Jesus, as great as he is, um, was, was nice and all, but, but if you really wanted to know God, then you needed to take it to a next, the next level. And these false teachers proposed that Jesus, you know, he may, he may have opened the door to a relationship with God, but if they really wanted to know God, then they needed to move past Jesus to other 
things, to a, a higher knowledge, to a greater wisdom of, of one nature or another. And Colossians is a letter that counters that argument, that demonstrates that Jesus isn't just the way in and then, and then you need to find the next level and the next God or the next angel or, or whatever it was, this worldview that these false teachers were teaching, but, but Colossians demonstrates that Jesus is God himself. It's a bold claim, but the church teaches, and the Bible teaches, God teaches to us, which is why the church teaches it, that Jesus is God himself. He's the creator who made all things, and he is the one who holds all things together. Uh, scientists are still trying to figure out how does, how does the whole world, the whole universe, just not implode upon itself. Um, and, and the Bible gives us an answer to that. Whatever the scientific way that Jesus does that, that may, may or may not discover in, in, in the history of humankind, but the, the main uh, thing that's holding it all together is Jesus Christ. He's the one who holds us together. And He's the one who not only created all things, but He's also the one who is bringing about reconciliation to His creation, which rebelled against Him in sin. And the Bible teaches and Colossians teaches that Jesus will one day make all things in this universe right. And so in chapter 1, we're, we're in the middle of a conversation about how Jesus is greater how Jesus provided a way for us to be reconciled to God through his work on the cross, his death. And we left off in verse 23 last week where Paul mentions that, that it was this message about Jesus that entirely changed the trajectory of, of his life. Before he became a Christian, he was going one direction, and he was toiling and striving after one thing, but, but after he met Jesus... It completely changed and altered the, what he lived for. And he became a minister of the gospel. That is, he became a servant who was completely devoted to telling other people about this Jesus that he had met. About the good news of Jesus Christ and bringing them to maturity in their relationship with Christ. And that's where he's going to go with this section that we turn our attention to today. So let me say right from the start that this message is, is for three groups of people that you'll find yourself a part of this morning. Paul is specifically discussing the ministry that he has called us to as leaders in the church. And I have to recognize that there are some of you who are thinking about full-time ministry. You're thinking about your role as a leader in the church, whether that would be in, in missions, whether it would be as a pastor, whether it would be uh, a full-time occupational service or as an elder or a deacon. Uh, some of you are going to be asked by, by our nomination, by our leadership committee um, to, to consider joining our as a deacon or an, an elder. And um, as, as we look at this passage, I, there's so much here that pertains directly to you as you consider that ministry. And that's what Paul is talking about in his own personal life. And so whether you sense that the Lord might be calling you to an occupation where you work full time or whether you're just considering a, a role in, in, in leadership within the local church, this passage specifically addresses you. Many of you have not sensed that God's called you to leadership, a leadership position in, in ministry or to full-time vocational ministry, but, but if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you will find yourself in a, in a second group. And you need to understand that, that God has called you to ministry, not just an occasional volunteering here or there, but full-time ministry where your life is defined by who you are in Jesus Christ, by the ministry of, this ministry of reconciliation that He has called you to in every area of it, in every interaction, you are a minister that is proclaiming the good news about Jesus Christ. And so whatever, whatever service you have in, in the church, sorry, I'm, I'm tripping over uh, the grass here. 
So it's a, some roots in the trees or something, or the railroad. Um, the thing is, is, you've been uniquely gifted by your God to, to serve Him in the church. And, and I want to challenge you as we consider Paul's words to give your attention to the greatness of this responsibility. Whatever your ministry is and however He's called you to serve, this passage has a lot to say to you. And then third, I, I recognize that there are some of you here today who are still exploring what it means to follow Jesus. What it means to be a Christian. And if that's you, I, I want you to know that, that we're, we're glad that you're here with us this morning. And I want you to know how welcome you are. But this passage speaks to you as well. The God of the universe has a message in these verses and he wants, that He wants you to understand. And so I'd like to encourage you as well to consider the perspective that is addressed in this letter regarding the nature of eternity, regarding what God says about Jesus being greater than all things, and that he offers to you something superior to anything else in your life that you'll pursue or chase after. And he writes regarding what God says about Jesus being greater, but also regarding God's invitation to you to be a part of something that was hidden for thousands of years of human history, but has now been made known. And so having said all that, let's begin by looking at, at uh, the challenge of ministry. In verse, chapter 1, verse 24, you know, Paul is telling the Colossians how he became a, a minister of the gospel. And he, pres he, he presents a very upside-down way of, of looking at things. A, a, an upside-down way of looking at life from the world's perspective. God's perspective on life on this earth is quite different than the world sees things, isn't it? He, just, he continues to throw things at us, and, and, and we open the Scripture, and God says, you've been told this all your life, and the world chases after this, but I have something better for you. And it's so revolutionary, so different, that when we hear it, we go, that just doesn't sound like what I've been pursuing all my life. What is God talking about here? And as we turn to the text of Scripture, you know, if I was to ask you, uh, before we turn to the text of Scripture, if I was to ask you, what brings you joy in this life, you know, what would be some of your immediate reactions? What are some of the things that bring you joy? It's not a trick question, and, but it is an open question. What brings you joy in this life? Ralph. Family. Coffee. All right, sorry guys, the grass has to go for a minute, okay? I'm going to face plant. Ralph, coffee, family. Sunshine. Boy, isn't that a good one. I'm thankful for that. Although today, I'd like a little bit of rain. That'd be great. Rain brings joy. Flowers. Green grass. Not this green grass. Although it did all week. It was good. Felipe? What's that? Sugar? <laughs> is, that, is that what he said? Yeah? Okay. I was, it brings me joy, too. I love sugar. Although I get less and less of it, the older I get. Friends. Dogs. dogs. Uh, two people with dogs. Yeah. You know, there are some things, th these are, those are some great things in this life. And there are, there are, these are gifts that God has given to us. And I, and I hope that, that many of those bring real joy to you, even Ralph. <laughs> but how many of you how many of you had the immediate answer, suffering? That's not our go-to, is it? Uh, 
how many of you have thought to yourself, suffering brings me joy? Now, I'm not talking about others suffering and watching people suffer. That's not what's going on here. But the kind of suffering where, where in my life, my suffering makes me joyful. Kind of upside down, isn't it? That's not our normal perspective towards life and ministry and what God intends for us. And, and yet, as we turn to the Scripture, um, in fact, verse 24 is probably, it's probably one of the hardest verses in the Bible. Not the hardest verse in the Bible, but it's one of the hardest verses in the Bible to grapple with. Not only because he's talking about suffering bringing us joy, but because of the way he, he expresses it. A lot of ink has been spilled trying to explain what Paul means when he says this. And he says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. That raises lots of questions, doesn't it? It's a little bit different way of expressing some of those ideas that we're, than we're used to. Now, it, it probably would help us if we look at a little bit of the context. Paul, Paul is writing a letter, and where, where's Paul at when he's writing this? Anybody remember? Where's he at, Felipe? Really good. He's in prison. Felipe listens really well. You need to talk to this guy sometime. He really has some great ideas. Um, in fact, we were talking about baptism the other day, and I asked Felipe some questions, and while he, he answered some things in a way that just blew my mind, he's been paying attention not only to what I say from up front, but I can tell he's been reading his Bible, too. It's pretty cool to watch. So you keep that up. And so, um, yeah, he, he's in prison. Paul's writing this from jail. He's writing this letter uh, he was arrested for telling people about Jesus. Plain and simple. And um, most people would, would lose all hope in circumstances like that. But Paul, he writes from jail after being falsely accused and wrongly imprisoned. And he says, I rejoice in my sufferings. I rejoice in all the bad things that are happening to me. Now, I, I don't think Paul sat around and he's trying to imagine how, how he could find ways to suffer. That's, that's not his point. He's not, he's not sitting there going, ooh, how can I really hurt myself today? Um, but, but rather, he looks at the trouble that naturally comes as he serves his Lord and he, as he ministers in preaching the gospel. He didn't have to look for it, but when it came naturally because of his faith in Jesus and because of the ministry of the gospel, he rejoiced because of how God used it in the life of others. You see, Paul saw everything that was happening to him, his jail, his sufferings, he was, he was flogged at times, he was thrown in prison, uh, later on he's going to die for his faith, and, and it was that suffering that Paul experienced that he says, wow, look at how God is using this in the lives of other people, and he rejoiced in it for those reasons. Now there's another difficulty with this verse here in that Paul says that his suffering is filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, that, that's a little different too, isn't it? Because how many of you normally go around saying Jesus suffered and, and what he did was lacking something? Well, that, that doesn't sound right, does it? All right, now, first of all, understand that the word that he uses for suffering is never used in the Bible anywhere regarding the death of Jesus. And so he's not talking about what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And so when he's discussing the sufferings of Jesus here, we're not talking about his sacrificial atonement and what he accomplished by shedding his blood for us. Um, he's not saying that Jesus' death on the cross wasn't enough. That, that would be completely contradictory to everything else that he's teaching us about Jesus being greater here in Colossians, wouldn't it? It'd be completely contradictory to everything else in the rest of the Bible. 
In fact, as I mentioned, that word here is it's never used for Christ's sufferings on the cross. And, and, and we have to understand that our suffering and Paul's suffering in no way ever contributes towards the forgiveness of our sins, the payment that was offered by Christ. It never contributes anything that is going to reconcile us to God. Only, only Jesus accomplished that. And before he took his last breath on the cross, what did Jesus declare? It is finished. It's done. Everything that needed to be accomplished for our salvation was accomplished by Christ on the cross. And so in what way then does Paul say that, that, that there's something that was lacking in Christ's afflictions? You might be asking, how, how could one add to the sufferings of Jesus? And we're not going to go into great detail here, but I think it's important that we, that we do explain what he means by that. And I, and I think Paul is, com- is, is, um, is referring to something completely else, something else um, than our salvation and what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And uh, Clayton alluded to it when he read today's scripture reading, and really observant, uh, because I think that's exactly what Paul's doing here. Do you remember what happened when Paul became a Christian? He, he was on a road, and, and he was going from one city to another. He was on his way from Jerusalem up to Damascus, if I remember right. And he was going to persecute the Christians and arrest the people that were up there. And while he was on the road, uh, he was met by Jesus. He, he was blinded. The people around him didn't see Jesus himself, but, but they heard something, and they, they knew that there was something there. And, um, and, and on Paul's part, he, he saw and he, and he heard, heard Christ. And you might remember what Jesus said to Paul when he met him on that road. He confronts him. And, and he says to him, Saul, his, his pre-Christian name, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And at which I think Paul may have thought, wait, what do you mean, God? I, I'm not persecuting you. I'm, I'm going after these Christians that are blaspheming your name. These people that are proclaiming a new way, this Jesus person. And they're teaching us about this, this new God. He says, God, I'm trying to serve you. And so I'm going after these people that are bringing shame to your name, to which Jesus basically replies, Paul, Saul, I am Jesus. <laughs> when you persecute my people, the church, you directly cause me to suffer. And at that point, in those next few days, Paul, um, he, he came to know Christ. The, and then the persecutor became the persecuted. And I, and I don't think that that interaction was ever far from his mind. I, I think when we read Corinthians and when we read Colossians, and again, Clayton, really good observation in Colossians chapter 1, I think that that was, that was really front and center to what he was thinking regarding these things. Is I caused Jesus to suffer. I caused his body to suffer when I persecuted the church. And now things have been quite reversed, haven't they? Because now Paul has become a servant of the gospel, and, and, and he's the one that's suffering. And he's remembering in his mind, what did Jesus say about suffering? What did Jesus say about those who persecute the church? They're really persecuting Jesus. And so Paul has this perspective that it's not me that's suffering. It's not me that's being persecuted. They're after Jesus. It's just they can't get to him. And so they, they come after us. When ministry didn't go the way that he anticipated, he remembered that it, was really, it wasn't Paul that was being persecuted, but it was Jesus that they were after. And in a very real way, when the church is afflicted, which is the body of Christ, Jesus feels that suffering. Now we also believe that Jesus is going to return. But until then, we share in his sufferings, 
And in that sense, the suffering of God's people is presently filling up Christ's afflictions. It's continuing to add to the the suffering, to the afflictions of Jesus. And, And it seems from Paul's perspective that there's a certain amount of suffering that's been ordained by God until he comes again. And that is being filled up until until the time when everything that God intends for it to happen, it, it will be completed. But there's a purpose in our suffering. And God allows these things to come into our lives as Christians because He's accomplishing something very specific. You see, in our suffering, God receives glory. And the church grows. And until, until the time that Jesus comes again. Romans 8 goes so far as to tell us that our present suffering is not worth being compared to the glory that will one day be revealed. And so you see that the Christian life is not easy. Ministry in the church does not normally lead to earthly rewards, and quite often it leads to the opposite because the world is naturally adverse to the message that we preach. But Paul was able to rejoice in his sufferings and in the challenges of ministry because he was able to look at the hardships through the lens of eternity. He understood that in his suffering, that his suffering resulted in other people, other people like the Colossians whom he had never met. It was because of his work and his ministry and some of the suffering that he went through that the message went to the the city of Colossae and they heard about Jesus and they responded to the message of the gospel. And so Paul looks and goes, wow, if if me being in jail and going through all these things that I've gone through this last couple years and throughout really all of his ministry, if if this brings about a group of people like the Colossians and they come to know Jesus, it's all worth it. And I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. He also understood that not only did he, his suffering result in other people like the Colossians coming to a relationship with Jesus, but he also understood that our suffering, uh, it, <clears throat> excuse me, he understood that our temporary suffering in this life, it leads to rewards in the world to come. This isn't the entire picture. Jesus sees these things and there are rewards that he has for us as a result of the things that we do for his honor and glory. And suffering also in our lives, it leads to others coming closer to Jesus And finally, our suffering, it frustrates the devil. Our suffering frustrates the devil because he dishes it out as much as he can, doesn't he? Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel that he's just trying to make your life miserable? And he does. And yet, he intends that for your harm, and yet God takes what the Satan intends for harm, and God brings good from it, and that drives Satan crazy. He hates it. And so Paul is able to boldly say, I rejoice in my suffering. John Piper once recounted the story of an indigenous missionary who walked barefoot from village to village preaching the gospel in India. His hardships were many, and after a long day of many miles and much discouragement, he came to a certain village, and he tried to speak the gospel, but he was driven out of town, he was rejected. And so he went to the edge of the village, kind of like Elijah, He was dejected and he laid down under a tree and he slept from exhaustion. When he woke, people were hovering over him. There was a crowd. They they were hovering over him and looking down on him. And the whole town was gathered around him to hear him speak. And the head man of the village explained that they came to look at him over while he was sleeping. And when they saw his blistered feet, they concluded that this must be a holy man and that they had been evil to reject him. And they were sorry and they wanted to hear the message that he was willing to suffer so much to bring to them and so the evangelist filled up the afflictions of jesus with his beautiful blistered feet and the 
this village came to know Jesus Christ. As Paul recounts his ministry, he doesn't give us a false idea of what we've been called to. He doesn't come to us and say, hey, it's gonna, this is just going to be great. Everything's going to be easy. Everything's going to be wonderful. You're never going to have any problems in this life. And everybody's going to listen to the message that you have to proclaim. And they're going to just respond in joy. And, and they're going to go, wow, tell us more. It doesn't always happen that way, does it? We rejoice when it does, but there's a lot of suffering that goes with it as well. And if the Lord is calling you to full-time work in the gospel, you need to understand that your service, it will bring great hardships with it. And Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are also called to a lifetime of devotion and service, and, and it's not an easy walk. And if you're still considering what it means to follow Jesus, and you're, you're pondering these things, is, is this something that, 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 I, that I can believe in? Know that this message is, is, not, is not that if you put your faith in Him, He's going to bring you great prosperity in this lifetime. And He never says that if you follow Him, that your life is going to be easy. In fact, Jesus spoke to his disciples and he, he told them, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That, that's akin to saying, if anyone wants to follow me, you have to, you have to take on your electric chair. It, it, was a, it was capital punishment. It was a form of death. He says, forever would save his life must lose it. But then he goes on to promise, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the world, whole world and forfeits his soul? A life with Jesus is not easy. But oh, the promises that he gives to us and the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. Finding our life after losing the things that we hold on to in this life. Ministry, it contains its challenges and in, in, in it we, we fill up Christ's afflictions. But having the benefit of an eternal perspective, it gives us great joy. In Christ, we have eternal life. We have the forgiveness of our sins and have been adopted as sons. We've been made heirs of the kingdom of God. And our hope is not in what the world can offer to us, but in our Lord Jesus Christ and the sure hope of eternity that we have with Him. Paul rejoices in his sufferings and he speaks of the hardships in ministry. But notice in the next few verses, the glory of ministry. He, he can, here's why we can face suffering head on with joy and why we can accept the challenges of ministry in light of eternity. In, in verse 25, he addresses how his ministry was a, a stewardship. Now, a steward is, is one who has been entrusted to manage something. Uh, most of you have a bank account or two or three. And, and when you take your money to the bank, uh, you intend that they're going to, they're going to take care of that money. We got an insurance payment for our roof yesterday, this week, and, and Doug took it down to the bank because did he trust them? I mean, it was, it was a lot of money. We could just put that under a pillow somewhere, stick it in the mattress, maybe it'd be safer there. No, we would consider the bank as a good place to store our money because we know that they're going to be a steward of what we deposited there. And in that same way, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been entrusted with a stewardship. And every one of you has a unique set of gifts and talents and abilities that God has specifically given to you. He specifically shaped you as one of his followers to, to carry out the work of the ministry, this ministry of reconciliation, in a way that, that is fit perfectly for who he has made you to be. And the Spirit has given you gifts that are uniquely shaped to you that he expects you to use as a steward in, in your service to the church 
and for the proclamation of the good news. And to whatever level He has entrusted to you, may you be found to be a faithful steward. But then he goes on in verse 26 and he explains how faith in Jesus Christ and how our stewardship of making God's Word known is a part of Jesus doing something greater. That, and he describes it this way. He says, The mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to His saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And now we hear that word mystery, and, and we kind of, we listen, we hear that word, and it, it means a few things to us. Um, and in ancient New Testament culture, it probably had a different connotation than the ways that we typically use it in our culture today. When you go to the bookstore, what do you, what, what's one of the sections that you look for? You have a, a mystery section, and it's filled with books that are about detective stories, typically, or, or something of that nature. We have um, books that we call mysteries. We see something strange. What do we call it? It's mysterious. If we find something hard to understand, we label it full of mystery. But when the Bible uses that word, it's not referring to something strange. It's not referring to a detective story. It's not referring to a secret that nobody can understand. And so understand that anytime you see that word mystery in the New Testament, he's not telling you, hey, this is too hard for you to understand. Just keep on moving. Keep on moving. What he's telling you actually the exact opposite of that. What he's telling you is this is something that's been hidden for thousands of years. Hidden for all of human history. And no one knew about this. It wasn't revealed yet. But now, in Christ, and in the age of the church, God has revealed what was previously hidden. And so, the word mystery simply refers to something that was previously hidden but has now been revealed. Something that was previously hidden, no one knew. But now God has revealed it so that we can understand it. And throughout the entire Old Testament, God was doing a special work among the, the nation of Israel. He called them to be a light to the nations. And, and God still has a plan for the Jewish people to redeem them, to use them as a nation. But, but after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, He started something different. That hadn't been clearly presented in the Old Testament. It was a mystery that had been hidden for ages and for generations, but at the right time, it was revealed. And God chose to do something glorious among the Gentiles, among you and me, outside the nation of Israel. He included many of the Israelites, but this work, the church, and the proclamation of this good news about Jesus Christ would take place and go into all the world. And so today, you and I, we have an opportunity to be a part of something spectacular, something that the first several thousand years of human history never heard of, and through the church, God is putting His glory on display, and it's our privilege to make that message known. If you still don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, please consider the incredible gift that He offers to you. God declares that all of us are dead in our sin. We're enemies of God. Understand the Bible's perspective. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you, you are in a relationship in which you are an enemy of the Creator. And all of us, we have rebelled against His holiness, against His goodness. We are children of wrath, and we are destined for eternal destruction. And we are no more able to save ourselves then if I were to go across the street and dig up a grave and, and, and find a body and tell it, come to life. 
I'm nowhere, no more able to save myself than that dead body is able to put flesh back on its bones and, and for that dead body to, to take a new breath and, and to get up out of that grave. It is completely unable to give itself life. And without Christ, you and I are completely unable to live. We are dead in our sins. But God demonstrates His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. The righteous one gave himself, gave his life in place of yours. And God says, I, I hate this sin and, and it has to be punished. And, and, and God the Son said, I will take it. And on the cross, he took all of the punishment that you and I deserved. And the righteous one gave himself in place of the unholy. And today he offers to you eternal life. He offers to you for, the forgiveness of your sin. He offers to you reconciliation. And this isn't some sort of just fairy tale, this imaginary story about living forever that, that we read about, this fountain of youth. It, it, it is, it's not some depressing idea either of just sitting on the clouds in absolute boredom for all of eternity. But it's a true hope of glory and life in a new heaven and on a new earth where we will be set free from the presence of sin and from death the death that it's brought about in your life today. And he offers to you a life that is filled with joy even when we endure temporary hardships during this life. And your salvation is a free gift. And he offers it to you. And if you are here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, he offers you this free gift. But understand that it is only received when you accept that gift. By trusting in the work that Jesus accomplished for you when Jesus died on the cross in your place and you like myself you can never be good enough you can never go to church enough you can never go into ministry and do all kinds of great things for people and change the world none of that will ever save you and do enough to accomplish what you need for a right relationship with God but Jesus is greater and so he calls us to turn from our sin and to turn to him and he will give you life and the hope of glory which is Christ in you. And He invites you to be a part of something that was hidden for thousands of years but has now been made known through Christ. And you have an opportunity to be a part of this ministry of reconciliation in which we proclaim this good news to the world. Well, my friends, as the church, this is the message that we've been called to proclaim you're here today and you haven't accepted that message I, I i encourage you turn to him turn from your sin and accept the gift that he offers to you he's given us the privilege of making known his riches in christ to make them known among the gentiles and we have a message to carry to the world he goes on in verse 28 and it says him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in christ and so we proclaim Jesus, we warn everyone, we warn them of the wrath that awaits those who die without Christ, we warn them of their need to turn away from their life of sin, just as we received that same forgiveness. We proclaim Jesus and we warn everyone, but Paul also says we teach everyone. It is our, our calling to impart truth, especially it is the calling of the elders that God has called to lead God's people, to shepherd the flock. But look at the incredible goal that's stated here. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. And you see, the goal of the, our ministry 
is for the maturity of every believer. It's not just so you can come to church and be part of something and, and, and enjoy fellowship and go home on, on, on Sunday afternoon and be done with it for the week. The goal is your maturity in Jesus Christ. The Colossians were told that, that true maturity and true knowledge were, were for some elite group, that you had to achieve this new level of wisdom after Jesus. But the beauty of what Christ has accomplished and what, what Paul declares to them in this epistle is, is that Christ is accomplishing something in the church and, and, and that he calls every believer in Jesus Christ to maturity. Not just a select few that, that go beyond the rest of us. All of us are called to be mature in Christ and to become more like Jesus every day. And, and that's the goal and the privilege of our ministry. But all of this is is too much for any of us uh, when you when you hear what he has called us to do and he talks about suffering and he talks about uh, about this ministry of reconciliation understand that the suffering that often comes with ministry it would lead many to despair of life and the weight of our calling would crush us if we dared to accomplish it by our own strength but but we haven't been abandoned to, to our own devices look at verse 29 he concludes and he says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that, is, that he powerfully works within me. You see, the ministry that he has called you to, the ministry that he has called leaders in the church to, the ministry of the gifts that, that he has particularly equipped you with and wants you using within the church is to be accomplished by our God as he works in and through us by his power, not ours. As he states it in, in Ephesians chapter 1, Verses 19 to 22, he says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you have to understand that the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, the same Spirit who, who raised Jesus to the heavenly places and put him in this position over every rule and authority is the same Spirit who raised you from the dead to new life in Jesus Christ, who enables you to share the Gospel, to do the work of ministry every day, his Spirit is the one who enables us to toil in the ministry that He's called us to. Vacation Bible School we just finished, and, and it's a long week, isn't it? We're tired. A lot of you have been working really hard. You've been doing so many things. Cindy's been driving back and forth in Chica to Chicago because her, her daughter is expecting a baby and made a couple impromptu false alarm trips. Um, you tired, Cindy? Yeah. We toil and we labor. And you, but the thing is, is, you guys, it continues on. Vacation Bible School is an intense week, but God has so much more for you to be involved in and doing for His glory and, and His honor. But my friends, it comes by His power, not our own. And it's by His strength that we do these things. John Piper also told the story of a Maasai warrior once who, who came to know Jesus. And his transformation, I think it encapsulates what our expectation for suffering during this life and during in ministry looks like. It demonstrates the glory and the charge of our ministry, and, and it also illustrates the amazing power of our God who enables us to carry out the work of Christ. One day, Joseph, who was walking along on a hot, dirty African road, met someone who shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. And there, he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. 
the power of the Spirit began transforming his life. He was filled with such excitement and joy that the, the first thing he wanted to do was return to his own village and share that same good news with the members of his local tribe. And so Joseph began going from door to door, telling everyone he met about the cross of Jesus and the salvation that it offered, expecting to see their faces light up the way that his had. And to his amazement, the villagers not only didn't care, but they became violent. The men of the village seized him, and they held him to the ground while the women beat him with strands of barbed wire. He was dragged from the village and left to die alone in the bush. And somehow, Joseph managed to crawl to a water hole, and there, after days of passing in and out of consciousness, he found the strength to get up. He wondered about the hostile reception that he'd received from the people he had known his entire life, and he decided that he must have left something out of the story. Something went wrong. He didn't, he didn't tell the whole thing. He must have done something incorrectly. And so after rehearsing the message that he had first heard, he decided to go back and share again, to share his faith once more. So Joseph limped into the circle of huts, and he began to proclaim Jesus. He died for you so that you might find forgiveness and come to faith, to come to know the living God, he presented. And again, he was grabbed by the men of the village and held while the woman, women beat him, reopening the wounds that had just begun to heal. Once more, they dragged him unconscious from the village and they left him to die. To have survived the first beating was truly remarkable. To survive and live through the second was a miracle. And again, days later, Joseph awoke in the wilderness, bruised, scarred, and determined to go back. He returned to the small village, and this time they attacked him before he even had a chance to open his mouth. And so they flogged him for the third time, and probably the last time. And, and he, again, he spoke to them about Jesus Christ, the Lord. And before he passed out, the last thing he saw was that the women who were beating him began to weep. This time he awoke in his own bed. And the ones who had so severely beaten him were now trying to save his life and nurse him back to health. And the entire village came to know Christ. You see, Jesus has left us with a great commission. He's called us to go and to share the good news. He's given to you a ministry of reconciliation to tell your neighbors about Jesus and to use the gifts that He's given to you, particularly within the church and in throughout the world. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are ministers of reconciliation. And He has called you to share that message. And you have to understand that when you go and you share that message, you're going to suffer in some ways. You may not be like Joseph crawling from your life out of a water hole. But there will be people who reject you, reject your message. They will cuss at you. They will swear at you. They will say things about you behind your back. They will malign you. Your own family members. Jesus said that, that brother will hate brother, father will hate son, mother and daughter will be against one another. Because people will reject the message about him. The world doesn't want to hear that message. It's contrary to what they're pursuing. But he's called you to this ministry. And in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of the work that He's called us to, He gives us the empowerment that we need to accomplish what He has called you to be a part of. And I'd like you to encourage you to prayerfully seek God's will for you as it retains to your role in the church in making known the riches of the glory of this mystery. 
Again, if you're here today and you haven't received Jesus, my prayer for you is that you wouldn't walk away from here without receiving the free, amazing gift that He offers to you. Eternal life that is so much greater than any of the suffering that we experience during this lifetime. If you're here a part of our church, I want to encourage you to be considering the ministry opportunities that He has for you as a, as a believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, the leadership of our church is going to be putting out a, um, a booklet, a few pages here this next month, of just the different programs and the different ministries in our church and where some of the needs are. There's some programs and, and opportunities in our church where we really need some help. And, and there's some of you that are trying to figure out, you know, what should I do? How should I get involved? VBS is over. What's next? And, and, and there's some opportunities that we'd love to make you aware of, and I want to encourage you to be praying about what God would have you do in, you, in, in playing your part in the ministry of the church and look for those opportunities that would glorify and honor Him. Let's close by turning our attention to prayer. And Cindy, did you need to some, say something else before we go? Okay, we have Father Day surprise. So let us close in prayer, and as the praise teams come forward, we'll invite Cindy as well, and then after our last song, uh, Cindy has something for the rest of us. Father in heaven, we come before you, and we thank you for your word, what it teaches us. We thank you that you, just, that you haven't hidden from us some of the difficulties of, of what Christianity includes. But oh, how we rejoice in everything that it has given to us and the riches that we have in Jesus Christ. The joy that even our suffering brings. The joy that comes in our relationship with Christ. And oh, the joy of watching people experience the salvation that you've given to them. Watching other saints experience you blessing us and, 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 and working through us to minister to them. The joy that we experience when we look more like Jesus Christ at the end of one day than we did the day before. Father, with Paul, we rejoice. We rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in your work. We rejoice in the glory that is to come. And we so look forward to the return of your, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our hope. We give you praise today.